All right. Well, amen. Good morning to you again. I agree with Brother Brent. We already had church. Amen. It's just wonderful to be in the house of the Lord. I want you to know as your pastor, it was just a thrill to watch so many of you come and put your offering in a pot. I know many of you wrote on your checks, and you've got that to give later. And God bless you for your generosity. We're going to talk about that, by the way, a little bit tonight. If you want to come back tonight at 6 o'clock under the steeple, we're going to talk about what the Bible says about helping um, those who are in need. So, again, thank you so much for being here. God bless you. And, boy, again, the worship team just did a wonderful job. The choir just did a great job. Man, did a great job. I'm full. My cup is, like, way full. And I I just thank God for what he's all, all that he has done. Well, obviously, we're starting a new series today. And it's called Oz, the Land of Rescue and and restoration. And uh, now, how many of you guys, sometime in your life, have seen the movie The Wizards of Oz? Slip your hands up. Yeah, about 80% of us, thank you so much, have seen The Wizard of Oz at one time. It came out in 1939, uh, was a pretty big hit even then. But in 1952, it was first broadcast on, on television. And uh, it became kind of an annual event. And that's what I grew up with. Um, one time a year, and uh, sometimes it was in the winter near Thanksgiving, and sometimes it was in the spring around near Easter time. But once a year, it became an annual event that the that commercial television, you know, the broadcast television folks, would show The Wizard of Oz. And often it was on a Sunday night. And my mom and dad... Mom went to church like in the morning, but did not go in the evening. So like it wasn't like I had to go, but but I did go to church on Sunday morning and Sunday night. But those nights, I mean, I'll just be honest with you, I sinned and uh, stayed home and watched The Wizard of Oz. Just grew up doing that all of my life. And then finally it was put on cable television and, uh, well, the rest all is history. But if you look at it, there's just so many lessons we can grab from the story of The Wizard of Oz. And we won't hit all of them. We're going to be here about five weeks. We want to talk about my favorite part of the movie today. Um, and then next week, we're going to talk about a little bit about Dorothy, and then we're going to hit the three other main characters about, about boldness and about heart and about wisdom. So it's going to be a really good series, I think, as we, as we glean from the movie, Truths from the Word of God. So you might say, well, Dwayne, what is your favorite part of the story? Well, it's the very part. I, I really was never a fan of the Mushkin people. You know, they kick their little legs, you know. I, I can see them doing that even now. And uh, never was my favorite part. I didn't even like really get wild out when the Wicked Witch of the East died. I didn't, that didn't do it for me either. But I loved the twister. I just love, you gotta remember, I'm a southern boy and we didn't have twisters down south. And again, I just, just didn't have that stuff going on. And, and it, I'm sure the special effects were really bad. I haven't watched it recently, but I'm, I'm sure they were bad. But when that thing started coming across and, and sucked up to the house and the house is up in the air and all that thing, man, from my little seven, eight year old brain and from there on, I was just enamored with the power that that twister had and how it could just really shake up that person's world. And it's stuck with me. It stuck with me. Like I was just enamored with, with tornadoes uh, through my growing up years. And finally about 19, probably 90 maybe, you know, someone gave us a thing called a satellite dish. It may have been like 93. They gave us a satellite dish they weren't using and I mounted it on my roof and we were introduced, introduced to the wonderful world of satellite television. And of course back then the, the weather channel was new and they would show these specials on tornadoes. And because of the technology, 
really videos of, of tornadoes were just a rare thing. And so they'd show the same videos, but man, I would make sure I was in front of the TV every time it happened. Because again, I was just enamored with the power of a twister, the power of the tornado as it came across and would tear up buildings and things like that. And of course, I understand the loss of life thing is bad. So, so that's kind of my favorite part of the movie. I just grew up with it. And then February 29th happened. And all of a sudden, it became very real. On that morning at 4.56, a tornado tore through just a couple blocks right over here and cut across through town and over by Walmart and Country Club and that area over on Water Street. Eight, tragically, eight lives were lost. And all of a sudden, I had a different view of tornadoes because it became very real and very personal. Very real and very personal. And I guess I'd have to say probably now it's not my favorite part of the movie more because I understood the destructive power of that tornado. And the truth is, you know, some of us, and I pray we never experience it again in Harrisburg or anywhere that I live, but the truth is, don't all of us have things like that in our lives? Don't don't all of us have tornadoes that come, twisters that come. Dorothy did. Dorothy's tornado was the, was the mean old lady that tried to take her dog and, and she was run away from home, run away from that person who's going to try to take her dog and that's how she got tangled up with the twister. But we have things that happen in our lives and, and they destroy our lives. They tear up our lives. And uh, we need to find out what we're going to do with those and how, what happens when they come and, and how can we best avoid them if we play any part of them. So what we want to do today is we want to look starting at John chapter 10 and verse number 10. And then we're going to journey through some scriptures and look at, because I really think the, the author, the source so often of the, of the things that happen in our lives that are so negative is the devil. It's Satan. And again, I hope you understand that I truly believe that he is a real creature He's a created creature that once was an angel and fell from, from heaven and has been the source of sin and pain and suffering in this world ever since then. And so I want to look at today, how can we, what do we do with that? And of course, we're really going to look at that next week. But what do we do when these tornadoes and twisters come into our lives? Now, John chapter 10 and verse number 10 talks about, it's a very common scripture. The thief comes to steal, to kill and destroy. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And that's why these tornadoes come. They come to steal, they come to kill, and they come to destroy. And often in circumstances, sometimes it's people, sometimes relation, broken relationships, sometimes it's bad decisions. But, but we have these things come into our lives, and they steal, and they kill, and destroy. Now, to set up for this, so you'll know, in John chapter 10, Jesus is talking about him being the, the good shepherd, the great shepherd. And he's talking about we who believe in him as his sheep. And so that's kind of the setup that he's talking about. And when he talks about... The thief comes. He's talking about the person who wants to come in to the sheepfold and do damage. He wants to come into the sheepfold and do damage. And you've got to understand that that is what Satan wants. He wants to come into your world and he wants to do damage. Satan wants to come into your world and he wants to do damage. In fact, I like the verbiage of the scripture, the thief comes only. He has this purpose in mind. I, I, I found in Luke chapter 22, verse 31, again, one of those scriptures that we really love to talk about. And Luke twenty-two thirty-one, this is New King, King James Version. Jesus is talking to Peter and he says, 
The Lord said, Simon, Simon. Now, first off, let's pause there. Because, you know, when, when Jesus came on the scene, you know, Jesus said, well, you, your, your name is Simon. But from now on, we're going to call you Peter. We're going to call you Little Rock is what we're going to call you. And so the fact that Jesus here uses the word Simon, Simon is a really important fact. You know, I just spent three days with two grandkids in my house. And um, you know, they are David, James David is all boy and Ellie's all girl. And uh, it was interesting. It really was. And more than once, in fact, multiple, multiple times, usually Jennifer would go, James and Ellie, James and Ellie, James and Ellie. But every once in a while, things would get out of hand. And then from that little five-foot-three daughter of mine would come, James David or Ellie Grace. And boy, that was a red flag, tink, tink. You, I need your attention because you're fixing to get in trouble. Well, when Simon, when Jesus says Simon, Simon, that's the point. The fact that he said it twice and the fact that he used that name, he wants to make sure, Peter, are you hearing what I'm about to say? So he says, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Now, this is very interesting. First off, you need to write this down if you're, if you're a note taker or you want to circle in your Bible. The word you there, Y-O-U, the word you is in the plural sense. And we miss this because, again, our English language does not represent it well. So what Jesus is saying at this point, he's saying, And the Lord said to Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for all of you, all of you, all 11 of you. Okay, he's asked for all. All of you, not just Simon at this point. So, so Jesus says, Simon, listen, Satan has asked for all of you that he may sift you as wheat. Now, you know, again, sifting of wheat occurred. They would take the grain and they toss it in the air. Uh, and then as the wind hit the wheat, the chaff would blow away and the heavier ground would fall to the ground. And you can just imagine this. The thought that came into my mind is, have you ever seen a cat um, catch a mouse? Yeah, yeah. They, they don't just like, you know, they don't just do their business. We'll talk about that in a minute. I'm probably going to get in trouble. Um, but but they'll, they'll bat it around. Uh, I remember, I don't know if we owned the cat or we were at someone's house, like one of my kids that had a cat. But they will take the, the, the mouse and they'll kind of hook their paw and toss it in the air. And the little mouse is going, oh, you know, and the mouse will, you know, slap it around for a while. Well, that's kind of the picture when Jesus says, you know, Satan's asked for all of you. They, they may play with you. They may slap you around just a little bit. But, but something interesting is in verse number 32, because Jesus then says, but I prayed for you. I pray for you. Now, different word here. The first time, again, it's plural, speaking about a group. This time, the you there is singular. So he goes from Satan's asked for all of you that he may sit you like wheat, okay? But I pray for you, Peter, singular. I pray for you. So my question is this. Why didn't Jesus say, I'm praying for all you guys? I'll tell you why. Because Peter had this, this particular issue in his life that was to make him very susceptible to trouble. And that was his pride. That was his pride. 
The reason, the reason Jesus looked at Peter dead in the eye and said, but I pray for you, Peter, is because he knew Peter had that propensity, that tendency in his life for pride. Now, we know that because in just a few minutes, you know, you know when Jesus says this, you know, he says, you know, Peter, you're going to deny me and, and you know, all this stuff. And Peter's going to stick his chest out and go, let me tell you something, Jesus. Them other yahoos that you've called as disciples, they may fail you. They may desert you, but not me, bud. Just a little bit of a pride issue. And so I think Jesus spoke directly to Peter because he knew that weakness in his life. Now, I'll tell you all of that to tell you this. That one, Satan wants to cause you harm. And most of us have a tendency to have a little bit of a pride issue. Don't miss that. We have a little bit of a pride issue. We think we can handle anything. Your friend may fail, the pastor may fail, the deacons may fail, your wife may fail, your parents may fail if you're here as a student, but not me. It'll happen to everyone else, but not me. Oh, my goodness, are you set up for a disaster? So when Jesus said back in John 10, 10, this thief, this, this person, the creator of evil, the thief comes only his purpose is. And then look what he says, those three words that I, I just jumped on this. I said, wow, how about that? I've not think I've seen it that way. The, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Now, do you see the link there? He didn't say the thief comes to steal or kill or destroy. There's a process. He links them together with with a connector and says, this is a process that the thief goes through when he wants to slap you around, when he wants to sift you as sweet, when he wants to wreak havoc in your life. He says, the first thing you need to know is, is that when Satan tries to sneak into your, your corral, okay, into your sheepfold to get you, he wants to steal. He wants to steal. Now, the word steal means to take without permission. Take without permission, which is kind of ironic because Satan wants to take things that are not his to take, but are ours to give. Somehow he convinces us to give. It's not like he has to wrestle most things from us. Somehow we get in a position in our lives where we willingly give up. We willingly give up. So this thief comes in and he wants to steal things that really that are ours to give away, but we should never give away. What do you mean, Dwayne? Your peace. I'm pastoring long enough. And I guess I'm human enough. How many days I wake up with no peace? How many times there is turmoil in my life? And Jesus said through the Holy Spirit, the three major fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. And yet so many people that I encounter and so many days in my life, that peace is not there. And you go, what happened to it, Dwayne? I gave it away. I gave it away. And of course, the next one, joy. I mean, again, one of the great attributes of being a Christian is joy. And joy is that, that inner ability that the in, that's only, what is on the inside is protected from what's on the outside which is circumstances and all that junk. But we give our joy away. Where God wants us to be a joyful people. In fact, we're going to do a series next year on just on joy. He wants us to be a joyful people, but we give it away. Um, you know, I wrote down character. Character is what you are when no one's looking but God. How many times for so little, 
for a moment in the spotlight, for a few dollars in our pocket, we trade our character away. We give our character away. He loves to steal that. Because with your character goes your testimony. How about family? I've seen this one too much. Families that break apart, fall apart, get shaken apart because of the evil one. I wish I could tell you how much he wants your family. He wants your marriage so bad. He wants your children. He wants your grandchildren. Oh, how we need to guard that. Because the thief wants it. And he's good. He's good. On. Careers. How many times careers have gone down the tubes because we gave it away? Our integrity. And we gave it away. So the thief comes to steal. But the crazy part is, so often in this case, he didn't have to steal it because we give it to him. And then he loves to kill. To kill. See, the thing that probably that's going to get me in a little bit of trouble with somebody today is I'm not a big fan of cats. Um, but, you know, like I told you, I mean, it's just true. You know, that mouse and that cat, the cat first plays with the mouse and then he kills the mouse. And you know how he kills him. But then he destroys the mouse. He slaps it around. He kills it. And usually, by the way, by about the 15th time he's been tossed in the air, the mouse is either dead or about dead. And you know how he destroys it? He eats it. He eats it. So, so Satan comes into our life and he kills. He slaps us around long enough and we yield to that in our lives long enough where we totally lose any power or any will to fight back. You know, in John chapter 8, verse 44, John chapter 8, verse 44, you, this is Jesus speaking, it's a great parallel scripture to, to John 10, 10. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. Now, he's speaking to lost religious people here. I get that. But you just be aware. Be aware when you start acting like a lost person. If you're a child of God, if you're a Christ follower, just be aware when you start acting out. You know, we use that terminology kids. You're just acting out. Beware when you start acting out like a lost person. Whether through habits or how you handle people or attitudes or relationships. So beware of that. It's a red flag. You are of your father the devil and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was, here it is, he was a murderer. He was a murderer from the beginning and has not stood in the truth because there is no truth in him. And his best weapon for killing are lies. Our lies. Someone in this room or somewhere on the radio, someone has fallen for one of Satan's lies and something died. It's amazing. When we start believing Satan's lies, something dies. When we, it almost rhymes. When we start believing Satan's lies, something dies. It might be your character. It might be your family. It might be your integrity. It might be your character. But something dies. And it happens when we believe what Satan says rather than believing what God says. 
we were all just horrified by the shooting that took place in Las Vegas. Nothing like this has occurred. A man gets on the 32nd floor of a hotel, breaks out the window, and in combat they call it the kill zone. It's, we saw it in Normandy in D-Day when the, when the machine guns were positioned in such a way that any human being that came on the beach was right in the lion of fire. And he set up a kill zone as he sprayed the crowd with those bullets. This is Satan's kill zone. When, when the Bible says when he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the fathers of lies. He, his kill zone is untruth. His kill zone is lies. He sprays into our lives. As long as we're willing to let him, he spreads lies into our life and we start believing more and more and more and more. Rather than go back because of time, but in Genesis chapter 3, it's, it's just classic. Did God say you couldn't? Well, yes, she said, well, you know, we could eat of the trees of the garden. We just can't eat the one in the midst of the garden. And we're not supposed to touch it either. You know, or else we'll die. And Satan said, you won't die. You won't die. That was the lie of the century. <laughs> it's the lie for all time. You will not surely die. And see, that's what he does. Now, y'all need to hear this. Someone here needs to hear this. Because he's been whispering in your ear. God understands. God wants you to be happy. He wouldn't wouldn't let you go through life without being happy. If something else or someone else will make you happy, then do that. God wants you to have stuff. And so if you have to lie or, or cheat or steal to do that, then God understands. And someone here is starting to believe that. Starting to believe that. And you find yourself right in the middle of his kill zone, just like Eve did that day in the garden. And then he comes to destroy. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. This is really, this is important. If, if, if you're going to turn me out, wait until after I finish this part. In John 13, 2, now, keep in mind, this is all right before the cross. Okay, we're in the, we're in the upper room, and the Last Supper is being served. The, the, the Passover meal is being served. John 13, 2. And supper being ended, the devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. So it's the end of the supper, and Satan already put into the heart, inserted in the heart to betray Jesus Christ. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever wondered why Judas did what he did? How, 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 do, you walk, how do you walk with the Son of God for three years? How, how do you see legs grow back, blind eyes open? How, how, do, you, how do you see you know, ears opened up, dead people come back to life? How do you do that exactly and then betray him? Betray him. You know what I think happened? I mean, it's probably several things. But I think it happened when Jesus said, okay, guys, here's the deal. 
I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to die. When he realized that Jesus' plans did not even come close to lining up with his idea of what it meant to be a Jesus follower, to be a disciple, he totally bailed. Now, for clarification, Judas didn't lose his salvation. He never had it. He never put his faith in Jesus. You might say he became disillusioned. I would say that's true. He came disappointed. He became discouraged. And then when that, listen, when that happened, when you become disillusioned, when you become discouraged, when you become disappointed, that is a fertile ground for Satan's lies. Be careful. When the preacher lets you down, when church isn't fun anymore, when you read the Bible and God doesn't seem to, you pray and it seems like God doesn't hear, those are, boy, those are fertile grounds if you're not careful for Satan to start inserting in your heart to betray God. Be careful. Be careful. And then watch this. A little bit later on, Jesus says, now listen, Jesus says that same night, Jesus says, one of you are going to betray me. Okay, so in verse 27, that same chapter, after it says Satan inserted in the heart of of Judas to betray Jesus, a little bit later in that chapter, here's what we read. So John, after Jesus said, one of you will betray me, John leaned back against Jesus and asked him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus replied, he's he's, he's the one I give the piece of bread to after I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas, Simon Iscariot's son. After Judas ate the piece of bread, hear that clearly. After Jesus ate the pe- Judas ate the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Therefore, Jesus told him, what you're doing, do quickly. It went from an insertion into the heart to Satan actually entering Judas Iscariot. That's how can we know he was not a follower. Satan can never possess a believer in Jesus Christ. He can influence, but he cannot possess. At this point, one commentary said it well. Judas had reached the point of no return. He was beyond redemption. Now someone's saying, Preacher, I've heard you preach. And you said no one is beyond redemption. I'm glad you asked. Because he wasn't. He didn't have to be. In his mind, he was. See, it wasn't that Judas was beyond the grace of God, even at this point, but he believed he was beyond the grace of God. That's what destruction means. When a person believes they are beyond redemption, then they are in the process of being destroyed. As long as you, even as a Christ follower, even as a Christ follower, if you believe God could never love me, God could never forgive me, then as long as you're in that state, He can never resurrect you and bring you back. You believe that? It's true. And he, again, you're not beyond God's grace. But you believe you are. And if you're here today and you believe you're beyond redemption, then that's where you'll stay. And He will keep filling your brain with junk and garbage. But the good news is, you're not beyond redemption. His grace is sufficient for us. But Satan, oh listen, Satan wants to convince you that you are beyond redemption. Why try? You'll just fail again.
The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Now, let's finish this up. How does that play out? Well, this week and next week, this week and next week, we want to look at Luke chapter 15, the story of the prodigal son. And we want to see how does that, the truth I just taught you, all of that, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, how he steals, how he kills, and how he destroys, how does that play out in people's lives? How did it play out in the Bible? Well, let's take a look. In Luke chapter 15, verse number 11, the Bible says, Then he said, Jesus, Jesus is teaching a parable. A parable is a story that Jesus made up to teach a truth. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. Now, let's just pause here, because I'm going to tell you something you've probably not thought about in a while anyway. First off, you're talking about a good home life. These boys had good home life. Their father, in this story, the father is representative of God. They had a great father. They had a great home life. We see that in the end of the story, which I won't share now, but we see at the end of the story how he welcomed the prodigal son back, how he went out and talked to the boy who never left. We saw that. They had a great father. But there weren't two wayward sons, or two, one wayward son. There was two. Both sons, in this perfect home environment, both sons had issues. One son resented his father's authority and his older brother. And one son resented his father's authority and stayed home. But both of them resented the father. Both of them. See, you don't have to leave to resent the father. You don't have to leave to go to a far country. Do you, are you, do you understand you can go to church every week and be in a far country? If you think walking to this building proves that you're close to God, it doesn't. You know, you could bring a puppy dog in this building and it wouldn't be close to God. Coming to a building doesn't prove or disprove our relationship or closeness with God. Our heart does. Our heart does. So he had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And so he divided to them his livelihood. And you've heard this before, this part. I won't belabor this point. But the truth is, it was just way out of character for for either of the sons to go to the father and say, Okay, father, I want what I've got coming now. And yes, I read it again this time when I studied, you know, that once again, the younger father, younger son was simply saying to the father, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead because if you were dead, I would go ahead and get my inheritance. Why don't we get it over and just give me what I've got coming? And he chose to do that. He chose to do that. The younger boy got one-third. The older boy got two-thirds, and that may have been part of the problem. So the younger boy takes his, his goods, and the young man, the older man, the other brother, had rights to his. Now look what happens. Not many days after... The younger son gathered all together and journeyed to a far country. Now again, keep in mind, he left physically. But long before he left physically, he left in his heart. He left physically, but long before he left physically, he left in his heart. And the older brother who never left was just as far from the father. Just as far from the father. So he takes his goods to a far country. And he wasted his possessions with prodigal 
living. Prodigal living means foolish and without purpose. He left the father because the father was authoritative and he was tired of the father's authority. So he left and he wasted his possessions on prodigal living. Living with no purpose. And that's exactly where God wants you. I'm sorry, where Satan wants you. He, he wants you in a place where it's all about you. That every, the world revolves around you. And guess what? That's not where God wants you. He wants you in a world that revolves around him and others. That's why this is so important. You know, I thank God for a church that continues to realize that others matter. That we can reach out and love them in Jesus' name by what we do with food and with water and other things. It's a, it strengthens the gospel, the presentation of the gospel, when we, when we show love to other people. So he wastes all that he had with this prodigal living. I wrote down, the path of sin leads to squander, which leads to squalor. Let me read that again. Let me read that again. The path of sin leads to squander, which leads to squalor. We squander the things that God gives us. You know, the reason we often give away our character and our joy and our peace is because we no longer see them as valuable. So we give them away. And that leads to squalor, poorness, filth, debauchery. So he gets to this far land and he starts living the prodigal lifestyle. Verse 14. But when he had spent all, when he finally hit bankruptcy, there arose a severe famine in the land. Isn't that coincidental? He gets there. When the money's gone, the famine strikes. The Bible says he began to be in want. So the guy who wanted freedom from his authoritative father went and joined himself as a citizen or to a citizen of that country and sent him into his fields to feed swine. The guy who was tired of authority joins himself to a citizen of that country and, and comes under their authority. You know what Jesus said in John chapter 8? He who commits sin is a slave to sin. Satan will tell you that, that God's got his thumb on top of your life. Who does God think he is? He can tell you what to do. That's a lie. It's just a lie. It's a lie. What Satan wants to do is get you under his thumb. He, he wants to convince you that your old lifestyle is better than your new lifestyle. He, he wants to tell you that life was better before Jesus than after Jesus. Lie, lie, lie. And he began to be in want. Oh, by the way, he'll also tell you that religion is enough. He'll, he'll tell you, just keep coming to church. You're okay. Endure the 35, 40-minute sermon, a few songs that are too loud and too long. Just endure those and you're all right. No, you're not. No, you're not. God's all about relationship. He's nothing about religion. He is all about relationship. Nothing to do with religion. Nothing. And that's not a play on words. That's truth. Well, the Bible says there are 16. And we're almost done. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. And no one gave him anything. So when you get to the point where the thief has come in and he's, and he's stolen, 
He's killed and he's convinced you that you're beyond redemption and destroyed you. What you're going to find out is that no one will give you anything. There's a great verse, actually about three verses, that's found in Psalm 142. Let me read them to you. The psalmist writes, Look to the right and see. No one stands up for me. There is no refuge for me. No one cares about me. How many of you ever saw the movie Cinderella Man? James Braddock, great boxer in the 1930s. He was on top. He was climbing the ladder. He got hurt. And all the people that thought he was the most wonderful boxer in the world wanted nothing to do with him. The whole story is about how he's starving to death. His family's starving to death. They can't turn on electricity. They're freezing to death. And he would go and beg from the men who used to be with in his society and who would help him book fights. And nobody would help him. I love the King James Version in this part of the scripture. Where it says, and no one cared for my soul. You need to understand something. Jesus cares for your soul. Satan does not. He is not your friend. I don't care what he promises you. He is not your friend. He does not care for you. And he certainly does not care for your soul. And if you find yourself and you've been in the kill zone. And you believe his lies. And yet you're still coming to church. And yet you're still doing this thing. But you know and realize today. I believe his stinking lies. Well there's hope. I just couldn't end the service with us sitting there and no one cared for my soul and good luck, come back next week. I just couldn't do that. But the tail end of Psalm 142 says this. The psalmist Christ says, I cry to you, Lord, I say, after saying no one cares for my soul, I say, you are my shelter, my portion and the land of the living. No matter where you are, if you think you're beyond the point of redemption, you, you know these people. You, they're mad at God, and you don't even know why they're mad at God, but they're mad at God. You, you bring up God, and they just, I want to hear about God. Somewhere along, they got convinced they were beyond redemption, that God hated them and didn't love them. That's how that story went. If those people just turn around, they would see God. And you don't have to look far. You don't need the Hubble telescope to find God. He's close by. Amen? He's near. He's near. Listen. Listen to my cry, the psalmist says, for I am very weak. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Free me from prison so I can praise your name. If today you are here, and you've been in the killing zone too long. You have bought hook, line, and sinker into Satan's lies. If he's convinced you you're fully justified in your sin, that right now you're in a relationship you should not be in outside your marriage. If you're involved in a situation at work where you've been tapping the funds on the side because you deserve it. If perhaps somewhere in your life you've turned bitter and you're in church for one reason your wife made you come today. That's why. If you find yourself in the killing zone, I want to tell you this. There's a grace zone. And God's grace is sufficient for you. If you're here today and you say, Dwayne, you don't understand. You don't know my life. You don't know what I've done. 
God could never love me. This says He does and will. This says He does and will. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That whosoever, you're a whosoever, whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In just a moment, we're going to have our time of decision. Brother Brent's going to be standing right down front here. It's our time of decision for, for, for you to say, I want to know more about this Jesus. You're telling me today, today, Dwayne, it's not too late that God would love me if I asked Him to forgive me. And He would and does. He would and He does. But also, maybe you're a child of God today. And somewhere, you stepped into the killing zone. Maybe it was a year ago, maybe it was two years ago, maybe three years ago. And somehow this became rote. This became something you do because it's expected of you, but it's not something you enjoy. You you may still be reading the Bible through every year. You know, I read the Bible through. But every year and every day you wake up and you read your three chapters and it does nothing for you. Maybe there's a lie that you're living Maybe, maybe Satan's convinced you of a new reality, a false reality. But underneath that reality, that false reality is the real reality. That you're living in this killing zone. That you're believing the lies and not the truth. Well, you'll hear it better next week, so come back. But it's time to come home. This invitation song we're fixing to sing is just one of my absolute favorites. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can heal. So, wanderer, come home. Come home. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, thank you so much for your truth. And I, I pray, Father, that you've taken my efforts today and will make them clear. Help us to see this thief. He wants to come in and steal, and then he wants to kill, and then he wants to destroy He wants to convince us that we're beyond redemption, that we're beyond your grace, and it's just a lie. I pray for my friend here today who's never trusted Christ as Savior, that today would be that day, that they would lay aside all their misconceptions about religion and you and just simply understand you love them and you want to forgive them, and you proved it by the cross. For my brothers and sisters, and I want to pray, Father, for us who maybe are living our lives, and we've been in the kill zone way too long. We believed the lies of Satan that we're worthless, that we're failures and will always be failures. And that nothing that you can do or we could do could ever change that. It's just a lie. And we find ourselves living in that kill zone. I want to pray, Father, that we'll come under your protective care and come home to grace again. Come home to grace again. Help us to stop wandering. And come home. Have your way, Father. In Jesus, we pray this in your precious name. Amen.